Far too many female advisors have spent years adapting to a business model designed for men, which often undermines their strengths as women. Not anymore. Welcome to the Femex Advisor Podcast, a show designed to empower female financial advisors to fearlessly embrace their authentic selves. Adri Miller Heckman, founder of Femex Advisor, will inspire and empower women to leverage their natural strengths as women and create a more successful practice that feels effortless. Follow along for female-driven inspirational and motivational strategies to help you create the extraordinary life you have always wanted. Now, on to the show. Well, welcome to today's Femex Advisor podcast. I'm Adri Miller-Heckman, your host and founder of FemexAdvisor.com. Today's podcast is not for the faint of heart. My guest today is a very authentic and dynamic woman who has proven to be fearless. Her defining moments have been many, and they just keep coming. (laughs) What you'll learn today is why it's so important to listen and learn from the experiences in your life. And by being open and receptive, you will continually create amazing moments that lead you to the success you want. So my guest today is Emily Patton. She is the founder and partner with the Partners Group, an independent financial practice focused on women. Emily, thank you for joining us today and sharing your story. Well, thank you for having me. So like many women, Emily, that are in our coaching program, you didn't plan to become a financial advisor. No, I did not. I never thought of this as a career. Well, take us through that process. Wow. I owned my own company prior to doing this, and it was a gymnastics school. So coach by training, coach by heart. And I guess when I had some life transitions, I decided to sell that business and was looking for a way that honestly, that I could be the mom that I needed to be. I really wasn't looking for a financial career. Of course, I wanted a career, but I needed to be mom first. And I needed something that facilitated that. And what about this business? You started with Waddell and Reed, correct? That's correct. Yes. And were you a financial advisor at Waddell and Reed? I was. Uh huh. And what did you like about it? Well, what Ellen Reed was drinking from the fire hose because it was all new and learning investments and learning very little insurance at what Ellen Reed, a very, I'm going to say, light focus on overall planning practices and simple plans versus complications and real life. But, you know, what I really like is being in front of people, talking to people, learning about them and being in a position to continue my heart, which is coaching and helping people achieve. So it's interesting. You went from the gymnastics world to becoming a financial advisor. And I meet so many female advisors who are recruited in from a prior career and not necessarily in finances. What was the scariest part of that job for you? Knowing or learning that I was going to make enough money to survive, raise my children and be the mom and the provider they need. So- How did you succeed? Because your contacts were probably in the sports world. Not all of those folks have money. So how did you succeed? (laughs) So this is what I did on a daily basis. I put the pictures of my girls in front of me and there was no plan B. It wasn't an option. Every day I didn't go to work with the goal of making 40 or 50 or 60 or $600,000. I put a picture of my children in front of me and said, this is my why. 
You know, those priorities are so important. And our industry really emphasizes pick a money goal. How many assets do you want to raise? What do you want to do? And I know in my world, my children were my priority and being able to provide them with a better life was a huge motivator. Right. Right. So priorities is what drove you. Having a purpose beyond the numbers was really powerful. So how did that continue to drive you in your career path? I mean, I would say it's the everything. As my children got older, my priority was to have my own independence and not be the parent who had no idea what to do with herself when her kids left the house to have enough networking, enough friends, enough people around me that I still felt like my life was thriving when my children left for college and off to become their own adults and things. And so my priority never shifted to, okay, I have to make $150,000 or I need to be a quarter million dollar advisor. It was always about sustaining what I'm going to call fulfilling life for myself and making sure that I didn't have a horrible transition of quote unquote, losing children and then not knowing what to do with myself. Okay. So how did you manage? Because you've been driven by your heart and soul from day one, but that's not our industry. And (laughs) you're surrounded by a different world, a different perspective, very linear. Here's the goal. Do whatever it takes to achieve the goal. How did you manage all of that? You know, honestly, in, at what Ellen Reed, I had an older and a very young manager. They had that, I don't know, Tuesday night phone session. Oh. And I refused to do it. I just flat out told them that's not happening for me. I'll sit down in my basement with a glass of wine where I can manage my children's needs and get things done. And I was always the number one appointment set or whatever, because I just refused to do things their way. And they had to put up with that or I wasn't going to be there. I think that is very interesting because I did the same thing. It was the rookie call on Tuesday night. Right. And I didn't want to be a rookie. Everything I did as you, Emily, was this is my business. This is my future. This is my career. Right. And you trusted yourself to determine how am I going to spend my time, not to please everybody, but to truly accomplish what I wanted in life. And that's a real challenge for many women. They're trying to please the industry and the firm and the dynamics of their branch, and yet they lose a big part. How did you do it? I just think that I'm very independent, as you know. And I've never really believed that there's one way to skin a cat. And I always know that I have to be true to my authentic self. And if I'm in a position or in a situation that I don't want to be in, I'm not going to do a good job doing it. I won't perform. I won't be happy about it. I'll make poor calls, if you will. So being able to just say, hey, this is how I have to function. This is how I do function. And this is who I am. If I am not okay, this is not okay. And it takes a lot of confidence. It takes a lot, especially when you're standing in front of a bunch of suit and ties and, you know, cocky 20 something who thinks he knows the whole industry. And then a 50, 60 year old man in a blue suit and tie. And they're telling you, this is how the industry works. And I'm telling them, this is not how I work. (laughs) 
I love that. This is how the industry works, but this is how I work. So you talked about priorities and a purpose, and you used a purpose in terms of who you were going to target in your business. Can you talk about that? Sure. So I used to do a lot of special needs planning, and that is a lot of triage. It's a lot of deep, heavy meetings and had some family situations that made that really hard to deal with on a day-to-day basis. And so I had to change my focus to make it a little lighter, a little easier. So I had to sit back and think about what that meant to me. And if you think about even just everything I've already told you, my purpose was my girls. My mom was a single mom. She always led us to not be dependent on others. I led my children to not believe they should ever be dependent on others. And I don't know, maybe a light bulb went on and I thought, I need to really be here for women. Not all women have men that support them. Women that do have men that support them still need to understand, be educated about what they're dealing with, because the reality is we're the ones that are going to be in charge and we need to be okay with that. And through all of that, I just thought this is where I need to be. So let's go back. Because the industry says target market, target market, target market. But then when you focus on women or you focus on special needs, the powers that be say, oh, you're too narrow. You're too narrow in your scope, right? How did you get into special needs to begin with? And I'm going to tell you the reason I'm asking is that you were always in everything you did, purpose and priority was a factor in your decisions. You could not do things for meaningless reasons, right? And as I look at your history, it is the grounding, it is the foundation to your success, is listening to what's important to you and having the confidence and conviction to go in that direction. So how did you get into special needs? So I never said I'm going to be a special needs financial advisor. I never said, gosh, I really want to work with Medicaid because that's a great place to be to make money. What happened to me was early in my career at Waddell and Reed, I had an advisor who was dying of cancer and I helped her and took over her practice. And inside of her practice, there was one family with a person with high level special needs, non-communicative adult. And I went to my broker dealer and I went to my advisors and I said, hey, how do I help this person? What do we do? This is super complicated. And their response to me was, Emily, why do you always have the difficult cases? And I thought, wow, isn't that telling? Life is difficult. People have problems and we need to know how to guide them through them. And that's actually why I switched broker dealers at that point in my life. But I didn't choose special needs. But what I realized through that family was number one, there wasn't only one family with these issues. Number two, having a child, an adult, a parent, a sibling, somebody that has needs for their entire life doesn't mean you're working with Medicaid. It means people need help. And it means that there aren't a lot of people out there who are willing to figure out how to help them and make sure they're making good decisions that really will fulfill the meaning of the person's life who can't take care of themselves. So what I find interesting is that opportunities present themselves in our lives when they're supposed to, right? And so this opportunity was presented to you. It gave you this purpose and focus to your business until it was too much. Right. Okay. Right. And you knew in your heart that it was becoming, I don't know, too emotionally demanding. 
it was too much time out of the day that I felt triage was in front of my face because I would go see my clients who I knew needed a high level of care from me. And I would go home and I had parents who needed a high level of care from me. And I just couldn't burn both ends. Right. In order to serve my clients, it sounds horrible, but I had to give up my clients. I had to give up taking on new people in that space to be able to serve people the way that I intend to serve them. And there was obviously no way that I wasn't going to care for my parents. So you reached out to me when you had decided I need to go down this path and create a more purposeful practice that engages women and actually has an impact. And it's fascinating to me because you are constantly driven by a purpose and the money follows. Right. And you allow in from gymnastics to wanting to have a career that was flexible so that you could be a great mom to finding a target market in special needs that gave you purpose and fulfillment to recognizing that that was just a stepping stone to getting you to where you are today as a financial advisor that focuses on women. Was that a difficult shift? No, difficult, no. Scary, yes. Because I felt like I was leaving everything I knew, the conversation I knew, the safety zone I knew. You know, they tell you step outside of your box. If you're not a little bit nervous or you're not a little bit on edge about what you're doing, you're probably complacent, which I probably was. So it was scary to say, okay, I can't handle that anymore. I've got to figure it out and do something differently to make sure that I can survive myself. And so it wasn't difficult once you figure out you're really doing the same thing, but it was scary. It's always scary to rewrite the book, if you will. So sure. So even today, your whole website is designed to speak to women. That's scary in itself. So many advisors, while they're passionate about helping women, they're afraid to lock themselves into this little pigeonhole. Did that happen to you? I mean, it happens to me every day. What do you mean? Every day when I get a call, for instance, my next meeting today is a single male. And I've told 15 (laughs) people, not my ideal client, don't really want him. I tried to keep him out of my path and he kept coming back into it. And so it happens every day that coming to this meeting, like self-affirmation last night going to bed, I'm saying, okay, if he's not your ideal client, you're not taking him on. Believe that you're going to be okay if you say no. It happens every day. If he's not ideal, I have to be able to say there's probably a better advisor for you somewhere. But the inclination is, oh my gosh, I need a paycheck. I should just take him anyway. So absolutely. It didn't happen. It happens daily. <laughs> so here you have a website focused on women, but you're attracting men. Right. And now you're at this point where, and this is very common, is that the next big shift is I will only accept clients if they have either this amount of money or these issues. Right. right? Because you start to recognize your value and you are prioritizing yourself and your time. Correct. Right. But that's. I mean, to go out there and focus on the women's market, you've got a partner, you've got a fabulous website. Could you share the website for the audience? Sure. www.partners, plural, partnersgroupllc.com. So what are you struggling with now? It's the beginning of a new year. So it's quote unquote, start over. 
even though our broker dealer, we don't, things roll, we don't start over at zero every year. Nonetheless, this is the first time that Debbie, my business partner, and I have put together a full annual plan. And so staring down the nose of January 1 and the list of things that I'm accountable to by January, we'll say 5th, struggling with making sure that my accountability and my ability to make sure what we together have said we're going to accomplish doesn't fall off track because of me. (laughs) So that plan, is it all numbers? Oh, no. It's all events and women's community service and things like that. We did set financial goals and timelines for them, but that part, we spent two days locked in a hotel room doing this planning meeting And the goal part of our annual meeting, if you will, was high-end 30 minutes out of two days. The fear you're focused on or the fear that you're experiencing now is, will I live up to my end of the bargain? Right. Because a lot of the marketing and a lot of the activity side of things falls in my lap. And we all know that activity creates success. And so activity could be when we do a women's purse project every Valentine's Day, where we collect purses, we fill the purses for women with things that women in shelters can't afford as they're transitioning into a stable life of their own. And so the marketing for that is in my lap. Well, it's supposed to go out next week and I have it all done, but I haven't submitted it to compliance, which is the easiest part of the process. (laughs) And so it's just making sure that oh my gosh, three days after the marketing was supposed to go out, I haven't failed to do something as silly as submit it to compliance for approval. So you know what I love is that whatever you decide and commit to focus on, you're all in. Absolutely. You're all in. and It's exhausting. (laughs) It is exhausting, but it's also, I think, really identifying your level of commitment is a defining moment. Sometimes it's easy to give yourself an out, but when you are 150% committed to what you're doing, not only are you focused on empowering women financially, but you're involved in all these organizations to empower women. Right. I would say that that's what makes it exhausting, but that's also what gets you out of bed. And it also is what makes you say, I have a single male coming in as a new client in the next hour and a half, and I don't want him. I already know I don't want him as a client just because he's a single male. And that's not fair. But because I'm all in, when I take on a client I don't want, I'm all in in a space I don't want to be in. Right. Do you think that through your career from... You were a gymnast and then from a gymnastics coach and having your own gymnastics business to where you are today. I mean, there was a lot of this journey was filled with a number of defining moments, right? And those defining moments were truly driven by who you are as a woman and what you wanted to accomplish in life. Do you think that's because of being an athlete? Wow. Maybe. I think maybe I was the athlete I was because I was always that independent and driven. But athletics, for sure, taught me the discipline and the mind games, if you will. And the preparation cycles matter more than the end result because the end result will be there if you're properly prepared. So I would say athletics taught me a lot about the disciplinary cycles, which when you ask what's one of the struggles, 
after the last four years that I've had looking in the mirror every day and saying, no, you stay disciplined on this this year. Relearning my own discipline is probably A, athletics taught it to me, and B, I need to rely on that to make sure that this year stays as disciplined as I need to be. I think too, as a former athlete myself, you learn how to turn what would be considered a failure into a learning experience that moves you forward in a new direction, right? So you may be learning a move or routine and something's not working. And so you step back, you rethink it. How will I make this work for me? And that's really what you've done in your business. Sure. Absolutely. I mean, I got into this business to make it work for me. So (laughs) I have no intentions of having it do anything different. What advice would you give other women? Because you are fearless. You're fearless in the sense that when you feel a shift, you're smart, you're strategic, you think about it. But when you make the shift, you're willing to make the shift because it's burning inside you. And that is fearless behavior. You're not waiting until life falls apart to make these shifts. And that's so common, right? We wait until we're just so miserable. I don't think you do that. Boy, I think if you're asking me on that level, what advice I would have to other women trying to navigate everything that we navigate as women, in addition to running our own business and being self-reliant, is to accept the fact that these signs are in front of you. They're there. You know they're there. So see it and be willing to deal with it because it's coming at you, whether you deal with it or not. And so you get to choose if you deal with it ahead of time how it's navigated. And how would you recommend when they feel a need to move into a certain direction? Let's say they get excited about focusing on women, but they're fearful about fully committing. What advice would you give? That's a hard one. Being fearful about fully committing is often what derails us. So I think that you have to understand that, first of all, making this decision today does not make the change tomorrow. Making this decision today is an evolutionary process that if you're not committed to it and you're not willing to see, A, how you're feeling, B, what's it doing to you and your practice, and then C, are you really taking the steps you need to take to be committed to your intentions? And everyone's different, right? So when I have hard times, it might be that I pour a glass of wine, sit down and shut everything off and just sit there and be quiet for a minute. It might be when I have a hard time that I get up and I take my dog for a three and a half mile run because I got to get rid of the energy. And so for other people, it may be meditation. I'm not very good at that because I can't sit still. For some people, it may be sitting down and reading a book that has nothing to do with business, but you have to give yourself those breaks so that you can see the clarity. You know, I'm also listening to you and saying there's this, how do you measure commitment? I've talked in the past about at a certain point, I thought, do I keep going in this business, raising these three kids, not making much money? And I invested in myself by borrowing from my 401k. When I left Citigroup to open my own coaching practice, I gave up all my licenses and I had a lot of licenses. Mm -hmm. I gave them up. There was no backing out. 
to me, that required 150% commitment. How do you measure your commitment? That's a good question that I'm not sure I know the answer to. When I commit to something, like when I committed to Waddell and Reed, that I don't have a plan B. I don't have a way out. So if I'm doing something and I have the idea in my head that, okay, if this doesn't work, then I'll just do that, then I don't think I'm committed. So perhaps for me, it's that I don't have a plan B. This is what I'm doing and I'm going to figure out how it's going to get done. And that's probably my level of commitment, but that's also the same thing that is exhausting is a burnout because you're constantly thinking about it. You're constantly finding ways, which allowing yourself to take those breaks and to relax and to rejuvenate is part of that commitment. It's part of the commitment to yourself to be able to handle what you've said you're going to do. Yes. I think that, you know, we've talked about a lot of things being driven by what is meaningful and purposeful to you. If you're just doing this business to prove to other people or even to yourself that you can do it, you're going to burn out. At some point, you're going to make a big shift. Our goal is to help you recognize how to make those shifts early. And I always talk about it's kind of like bumper cars, right? We hit the side of the little track and we bounce off and we hit the other side. Those are not failures. Those are simply indications that another opportunity is out there and waiting for you. And I think it's important to remember you're driving. (laughs) You're the driver, right? Exactly. So I always love speaking to you. And another thing I think was really valuable is we are task-oriented. We are achievers. And we feel good when we're do-do-do-doing. But taking time out more frequently to just sit and think with a glass of wine or a cup of coffee with no agenda, just think and feel what's working. So, Emily, thank you for being on the call. You're my idol. (laughs) You're very welcome. If you love this podcast, folks, share it with everybody and visit our website at femexadvisor.com. Thank you. Thank you, Adri. Thank you for listening to the Femex Advisor podcast with Adri Miller Heckman. Click the follow button to be notified when new episodes become available and connect with Adri on LinkedIn. To learn more, visit Adri's website at femexadvisor.com. The information covered and posted represents the views and opinions of the guest and does not necessarily represent the views or opinions of Femex Advisor. The content has been made available for informational and educational purposes only.